Welcome to the Unity Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. In today's episode, Senior Pastor Heath Bauer starts a new series titled Over the Rainbow. In today's talk, we focus on man's fear of death. Stay with us to the end and find out how you can connect to Unity Baptist Church. that's here in this room today. I don't know if you've noticed it, just the past several weeks, I've just noticed how amongst so many of God's people here at Unity right now, there's just a spirit of revival sweeping through this place. People who have a revived interest in God, a revived interest in His Word, who are praying, who are giving, who are serving. Just watching how you guys loved our community last Sunday night, friends, there's no prouder moment that a person can have than to see what God is doing through each one of you. Like we said, the church is an anthill. Church isn't powerful because of its queen or those who are you know, serving in those capacities. The church is powerful because every single individual believer in this anthill is working together to lift up, glorify Jesus' name, to serve one another and to show love. And I just wanna thank you and say how proud I am just to be a part of this church and a part of your family. If you want, you can open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter two. It's toward the end of your New Testament. If you're not sure how to find your way through the Bible, uh, you can just follow us on the screens here. We'll have the scriptures up here for you. Do you remember the first time you saw the movie, The Wizard of Oz? Or better yet, can you ever forget the winged monkeys? I mean, as kids, did we all have nightmares? Oh yeah, I mean, that that was a terrifying thing. It was a a movie that stuck out in our head and uh, always will. But if you remember how the movie begins, it begins in almost this sort of dreamlike state. There's this sort of sepia-toned world that Dorothy finds herself in. And did you notice at the beginning of the movie, they make sure that you understand that this weird, bizarre, dreamlike, sepia-toned world, it's full of trouble. Dorothy and Toto are fleeing Mrs. Gulch, who evidently hit him with a rake, you know, and uh, is chasing him down, wants to take him away. Auntie M, her incubator, breaks down. Uh, Zeke and the farmhands, they're fixing a broken wagon. Dorothy herself is, for whatever reason, you know, (laughs) dancing on the fence post, and she ends up falling in with the pigs. This is just a world full of trouble, and Auntie M is so frustrated with Dorothy, so frustrated with all the trouble going on in the farm, she just tells Dorothy, says, would you just go find somewhere where you won't get into any trouble? That started Dorothy thinking about Is there such a place? Past this weird, dreamlike, sepia-toned world full of suffering, full of pain, full of trouble, full of pain and heartache and death and sickness, is there anything? And she begins to wonder. She says, it's not a place that you can get to. Whatever this place may be, it's not a place that you can get to by boat or train. In other words, it's not of this world. She says, wherever it is, it has to be beyond the rain. It has to be beyond the moon. You know, the Bible talks about the rain. The atmosphere is the first heaven. The moon in outer space is the second heaven. And Dorothy has this innate sense that somewhere beyond that, in the third heaven, where God lives, there has to be this place full of color. And she starts singing about it. And she says, somewhere over the rainbow, skies are blue. Somewhere isn't this bizarre sepia-toned world full of suffering and sickness and pain and trouble. Surely there's a place that has blue skies. 
Now, I don't think she meant to preach about heaven, but she was very much singing about that, that longing of, the, of a man's heart to be in this place just apart from the suffering, apart from the trouble, and apart from difficulty. And so we're gonna begin a several part series this morning we're just calling over the rainbow. For the believer, over the rainbow is that which is beyond the rain. It's beyond the moon and stars. It's in that third heaven where God exists. But what is heaven like? What happens when you die? Have you ever thought about that? What happens when I die? At that moment, what takes place? What happens in those years to follow? What happens? What are my loved ones doing right now? What do we know possibly about heaven and hell? We talk about these places, but what are they? We're gonna look at these issues over the next several weeks. So I encourage you, don't just come here on Easter Sunday. Join us the next several weeks as we look at what is that place beyond the rainbow, beyond this sepia-toned world that we live in full of suffering, difficulty, death, shame, and sorrow. Is there a land of color that awaits us, a place apart from trouble? Now, I realize that on this Easter Sunday, we'd always like to talk about death even in our culture, we don't, we don't love talking about it, but as many of you know, my wife and I, we were missionaries for 13 years, most of which was in China. And in China in particular, they don't like to talk about death. We've mentioned that before. Almost every social faux pas in China refers to the fact that you made somebody think about death in some way, shape, or form. Uh, we got a picture here. If you ever go out into a Chinese restaurant, never do this. If we have a picture of a, there you go. You ever do that with your chopsticks? You say, fooey with this. I don't know how to use these chopsticks. And you just <clears throat> you stick it in your bowl and you know, wait until later. Uh, you do that, what does it remind them of? It reminds them of the picture on the right. You know, these incense sticks that you burn at death. And so that's a faux pas. You don't do that. With you. you can thank me later. Next time you go to a Chinese restaurant, don't do that. Uh, you don't give away people to people who are Chinese. You don't give them white flowers. Why not? Because that's what the flower you give at funerals. You wear white at funerals. You don't uh, give people clocks because the words to give away a clock sound like to attend a funeral. You don't like the number four <laughs> because the number four in the Chinese language also with a different tone sounds like the word death. And so in Chinese culture, you just don't talk about death because it's rude to make people think about the afterlife. But you know God wants us to think about death? Ecclesiastes 7 says there is wisdom in the house of mourning. When we go to a funeral, God wants us to think. He says, because that is the end of every man and the wise take it to heart. We're supposed to think about death, not, not, not fixate upon it. I'm not saying we also show up in church, you know, all dressed emo and in black and depressing and things like that. But we are to think about what happens on the other side? What's beyond the rainbow, beyond the stars, beyond the moon? Well, this morning, the message of Easter that I want you to hear is that as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't have to fear death. That is the message of Easter, that we have a Savior who came and he lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we didn't want to die. And then he went into the grave and he rose again on the third day, proving that he had the power over life and death. And furthermore, Hebrews 2 is going to show us because of the message of Easter, we don't have to fear death anymore. Would you like to get to a place where you don't fear death? Hebrews is going to say it's something we've all struggled with all our life. In verses 14 to 15, he says, Since therefore the children, that's you and I, they share in flesh and blood, he likewise, that's Jesus, partook of the same things, that is, he became flesh, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. G Hebrews 2 is going to give us three reasons we don't need to fear death today, and the first is, is that Jesus came to our rescue. He's letting us know that he's near 
He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. You get scared as a little kid, daddy comes by, you're not scared anymore. Why? Because he's powerful and he can take care of me and he loves me. God is saying the same message. God the Father has come down in the person of Christ. If you've seen me, Jesus says, you have seen the Father. And so our Father has come near. We don't have to be afraid of death because God is near and Jesus came to us. He says, since therefore children share in flesh and blood, because we're made out of flesh, Jesus said, I'm going to be made out of flesh. You see, God can't die in our place if he's still just God. He has to be God and man so that he can die in our place. And so unlike some of these like Hindu deities and things that just you had the deities who are like, you know, I wonder what it'd be like to live the life of Tyler today, you know, and just decides to come down and live the life of Tyler and see what's going on. Jesus came down to earth because it was necessary that he take on flesh, that he could die in our place says he took flesh and blood. He partook of the same things. So that is also as our great high priest, he understands the pain that you and I go through. He knows it's difficult to pay taxes. Jesus paid taxes, did you know that? Of course, he got his money out of a fish's mouth, but don't try that. Uh, you'll be fishing a long time. But Jesus experienced what you and I did. He experienced rejection of his friends. He experienced pain and sorrow. He experienced so much. Do you know Jesus experienced stress and anxiety? So much so that at the Garden of Gethsemane, he's, he's sweating out sweat drops of blood, which scientists uh, tell us that will happen when someone is under great duress and stress, that the capillaries begin to break and you can literally sweat drops of blood if the, if the stress upon an individual is great enough. Jesus understands what it's like to live a life of stress. Now, he knew how to handle it, but Jesus was put under tremendous stress. And so Jesus came to earth, why? Because, not because he wanted, he's just curious about your and I's life. He came because you and I are in trouble. You see, when God created man and woman, the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, it's a literal place and two literal people that God literally created in seven days. You say, how do you believe that? Because God is all-powerful. If you believe in an all-powerful God, friends, a seven-day creation is nothing. He didn't even need that long. Okay, so God created the original man and woman and he put them in the middle of a beautiful garden with all kinds of food and he says, everything you see here you can have except this one thing. And just like your little kid at home, you can say you can have the run of the whole house, just don't touch this. What's he gonna do? He's gonna touch it. Just like you and I do, wet paint, I wonder. you know. And that's what they do. And they, so they go to this tree in the middle of the garden and God, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says, you don't wanna know about good and evil, only know about good. And, there, and then Satan comes in through the form of the serpent and says, did God really say? You know, God is just withholding something good from you. And man believed the lie that God is actually withholding something good for us, sin. And they took of the fruit and they ate that fruit. And God said, in the day that you eat of it, what will happen? You will surely die. Now, not just the death process, friends. This Hebrew word for you shall surely die, it's a word that means to be executed. That God having a legal demand against you is going to cut your life short and he will bury you on that day. Did that happen? We have good evidence it didn't happen, don't we? You're sitting here right now. So obviously Adam and Eve didn't die that day like God said. Did, did that make God a liar? Some of you are thinking, I don't know. No, it didn't. It made God merciful. God is both just. Something and someone has to die for that sin. Just like I said, execution will take place. But I'm merciful and I'm loving and I want to provide a way where my justice and my mercy come together in the form of the cross. And so what he did is that day that they were supposed to die, someone did die, didn't they? It was an animal in their place. 
And God took this animal and he killed this animal and he wrapped Adam and Eve in the skins of an innocent animal so that they are clothed with the righteousness of an innocent one. It's a picture of what Jesus would do for us one day. And at that time in the garden, God also gave him a promise. He says, I'm gonna send somebody someday and he's going to crush the serpent's head. He's going to kill him. He's going to defeat him forever. But in that moment, the serpent will bruise his heel. He's gonna give him a temporary wound. And friends, for Jesus, being crucified is a temporary wound. He rose again. That was, so this picture in the garden is a picture of what Jesus would do for us one day. Why did Jesus come to earth? It's because we couldn't come to God. Have you ever realized that you can't come to God your own way? You can't just decide how to come to God. You can't create your own religion. You have to submit to what God says. So what every loving father says, you don't get to make the rules in this house, as long as you're under my house, right? Well, this earth, the Bible says, the, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. This is God's house. He gets to make the rules. All we can do is submit to the rules of our loving father. Jesus, it says, Jesus was telling a fellow named Nicodemus in John 3.13, he says, no one has ascended into heaven. In other words, nobody has climbed a stairway into heaven. He says, but rather, he who descended from heaven, that is the Son of Man. The only one good enough to get to heaven on his good works is Jesus, not you, not me. Sorry, Led Zeppelin, nobody made a stairway to heaven. Okay, we can't get there on our own. We can't do our good works. We can't build a tower of Babel and reach the heavens and come to God our way. We have to do it God's way. Now, most of us, we would consider ourselves good people, wouldn't you? Are you a good person? You know, when I ask that question, I've never met someone who said, no, I'm not a good person. We all think of ourselves as good. Uh, I don't know what that is, but the thing is, is whether I think I'm good or not doesn't matter. If you get pulled over for speeding, does it matter if you think you're speeding? <laughs> what matters? Does the officer think that you're speeding? Did that little radar gun he have on you think you were speeding? That's all that matters is the law that's beyond you because that law judges you and I. In the same way, it doesn't matter if I think I'm a good person. The question we need to ask is, does God think I'm a good person? Well, let's ask God that question. God, am I a good person? I didn't hear anything, but we can read Romans chapter three, verses 10 to 12. Here's what God says in response to that. None is righteous. How many is none? Math majors here? How many is none? Yeah, that's, that's a big zero. None is righteous. And then just in case, because God knows that his children, you have to say it five times, okay? So this is God saying it five times in case you're thinking, well, yeah, he's not good. Hitler's not good. Everybody agrees for whatever reason, Hitler's going to hell, but nobody else should. Is any righteous? He says, none is righteous. No, not one. Not one understands. No one seeks after God. All have a turned aside. Together, that means everybody, they have become worthless. No one does good. How many? Not even one. So let's ask God that question. God, am I good? God says, how many times do I have to tell you? You're not. There is none good. None of us can earn our way to God. None of us are good enough to get to heaven on our own good works because God's standard of holiness is himself. It's perfect righteousness. Do you have perfect righteousness? Those of you with children, you know we don't have perfect righteousness, do you? You know, we've done wrong things. We, we were doing wrong things since we were a little kid. And so there is none righteous before God. Nobody can get to heaven their own way. We have to have God come to us. Ideally, we have to have God come to us to live a perfect life that we couldn't, take on flesh so that he could die, that he would die in our place so that we could be set free. It's the message of uh, the tale of two cities. Remember that book that all your English lit teachers made you read? 
but you didn't, you skimmed it, you read Cliff's Notes, kids today, you read, you watched a YouTube video summary on the Tale of Two Cities, but you remember the gist of it. You have this fellow named Charles Darnay. He has an unfortunate connection to the Evermon family, and unfortunately, because of that, French law is gonna say, you're gonna die. So this is a man due to his family heritage who is condemned to die. And there's a fellow who comes into the story named Sidney Carton, and he is his accuser, okay, at one point in time. He is a lawyer. And we discover that Sidney Carton, a man like Darnay, a man who strikingly looks just like Darnay, okay? And so you got these fellows here, and they, all, they both love the same girl. And eventually, Charles Darnay, he gets, he gets put in jail in France, and he's going to be executed. And Carton could have had all his dreams fulfilled. I can, I can take this girl that we both love, but he won't do it. Instead, we see in that book, he's going to do something for him. I'm not going to ruin it for you yet, but I think you see where this is going. Cliffhanger. Get back to this later. We're going to get to Jesus, who is an infinitely greater picture of what Carton is going to do for Darnay. Number two, we're going to see that why don't we need to fear death? Not only did Jesus come to our rescue, Jesus will die in our place. See, the real fear of death is not the pain that we experience at the moment of death. In fact, quite often, uh, most of us aren't even aware of what's going on in those final hours, a lot of times we're, as we're slipping. So it's not the, pa <clears throat> the pain of the fear of death. For us, the fear of death is, what happens after death? What is beyond death? See, we have a certain awareness in our heart that we've done bad things, and that bad thing has to be punished, and we know about hell, and there's a fear of that hell, and rightfully so. Animals don't fear hell. Your dog doesn't fear hell. Look what he does to your couch. He doesn't fear hell. Dogs don't care. Monkeys don't care. Animals don't care. Why? Because animals aren't in the, made in the image of God, but God made us in his image, which means we're moral beings. Animals do things that look like morals, but it's instinct. Man does things, but we have an inner sense of right and wrong. We have this conscience, the Bible says, this, this unique morality within mankind worldwide, no matter where you live, we all know there's right and wrong, and we realize that our conscience convicts us, and internally we all know there should be something done against even my sin. And so there's a fear of death because there's a feel of fear of the punishment that we know that we deserve. Well, the Bible says very clearly in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. What we have earned, a wage, like minimum wage, what you and I have earned for the evil works that we have done is death. Now, he's not just talking about simple death because all men die, right? What death is he talking about? Romans chapter, or Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, he describes it. He describes the kind of people that go to hell, and that's the most terrifying part. Listen to this list. He says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion, what, what they have earned, what they're going to get, their inheritance, is the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Friends, does that, does that thought scare you? If you don't know Jesus, that thought should scare you. Who's included in that list? It's not that hell exists. I know there's dangerous things on earth, but I'm not scared of being eaten by a shark because I'm not gonna go scuba diving in the ocean, okay? So hell is a bad place, but what makes it really scary is that hell is, a, is where average, ordinary, sinful people go. Look at the list that he gives us here. He says the cowardly, those who are too afraid to confess Christ. Jesus says, if you won't confess me before men, I won't confess you before God. The cowardly. 
The faithless, those who won't trust God, they want to believe what they can see, what they can test out. He says, those who are detestable. This is a word that means idolatry. Those who love things more than God, where the prodigal son, I want your inheritance, God, or Father. I want what you can give me. I just don't want you. Anybody done that here? I, will, I want the blessing of God. I want to be healthy. I want to enjoy a sunrise. I want food. I just don't want to think about God. Like Roman, Romans 1 says, it talks about men do not like to retain God in their knowledge. I don't even want to think about God. I just want to focus on me. The Bible says that is a detestable person. That's the kind of person going to the lake of fire. That's scary. He says murders. Anybody murder anybody here today? Probably not. Uh, you wouldn't be here if you did. Uh, and you say, whew, I'm clear on that one. The problem is, what does 1 John 3.15 say? Everyone who hates his brother, uh-oh, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Anybody here hated anybody before? The Bible says it's just, it'll condemn you just like murder. What about sexually immoral there are many ways we can be sexually immoral. Friends, we have a society that is filled with immorality, don't we? It's everywhere. It's pumped in through the internet. It's on every billboard. It's on every advertisement. It's in every TV show. And we, the world is trying to get us to think in immoral ways continually. And so we, we behave in we behave according to that which we fill our hearts with, don't we? And so now we're sexually immoral. We, we fornicate. We live together before marriage. We commit adultery. You know, we, we're with somebody who's married. We, you know, people are into pornography. They're eating, reading filthy novels. We're, we're just filling our mind with sexual immorality. What does God say? He says their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Friends, this is, this is the terrifying news. This is the reason we should fear death, not the pain. The, the pain of death. I mean, you've experienced far worse pain probably in life. You ever pass a kidney stone? Okay, you, uh, you ever have a gallbladder attack? You have appendicitis? Ladies, you know, given birth? I don't know what that's like, but I've heard it's not pleasant. Okay, so you've experienced worse pains in life than just what death is likely to throw at you. The true fear of death, friends, is not the pain. It's what's on the other side. It's the second death that, fr frankly, friends, as we read through this list, it condemns us all. Me too. And we're all going to hell unless... See, that's the bad news. The good news is, unless there's someone who is like us, but perfect, who is man, but also he's God. He is he's infinite, he is powerful, and he is as loving as he is just. Look again at Hebrews 2.14. Since therefore children share in flesh and blood, Jesus became a man. He says, he, uh, so that, why did Jesus become a man? So that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. How did Jesus destroy the devil? It's through the cross. He destroyed the devil through dying. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, for while we were still weak, what's he mean weak? It means unable to save yourself. While we were still weak at the right time, God's timing, Christ died for the ungodly. Who's that? That's you and I. He says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare to die, but God is different. How is God's love different? God shows his love when? While we were still sinners, angry at God, hateful of God, don't even want God, it says Jesus died for us. It means in our place. Our only hope is God's mercy. It's not in ourselves. It's not in the good things that we can do. So now Jesus had to come here and he had to die. 
He had to suffer. He had to experience what you and I suffer. And so Jesus came to earth and he was misunderstood. He was uh, betrayed by friends. Jesus was called the literal devil at one time. Did you realize that? And then at the end of his life, how did we repay all of Jesus' miracles, his healings, his goodness? We beat him. We plucked out his beard, we spat upon him, and we took, they took a whip, a cat of nine tails. I've got a picture here for you. Cat of nine tails. Now, the one on the left here, it's the best that I could get you for right now. It's worse than that. It's bigger than that, it's longer than that, and the pieces they put in there, I put a little insert up there. It had pieces of bone and metal. So when, when you were beaten with a cat of nine tails as Jesus was, the first blow that struck you would wound, it would bruise, and it would cut. And unfortunately, all these little spiky metal bone pieces and stone, they would sink into your flesh like a tiger's claws. And then the worst part was about to come. On the backswing, when they would pull back on this cat of nine tails, what are those ropes gonna do? They're gonna pull together, aren't they? And what do they do? They literally, they, apologies for just how graphic this is, they rip off entire chunks of flesh on the backswing. Most people didn't even survive the scourging, by the way. He didn't even, didn't even need to get crucified because many of them died before that. How badly was Jesus beaten? The Bible doesn't say how many times Jesus was beaten, I think because it would make us gasp. Isaiah 52, 14 says, describes the beating that Jesus received. As many were astonished at you. Astonished is a word that means I've seen something here that I've never seen before. His appearance was so marred. He says beyond human semblance in his form, beyond that of the children of mankind. What does the Bible say about the beating that Jesus took? When they got done with him, he didn't look human anymore. How bad do you have to be beaten where you can't even, you don't even look like a human anymore? So no, these pictures that you see, I got a picture here for you. you uh, these pictures you see in the museums of Jesus looking like that, that's a favor to you and I. Jesus was stripped naked. And then he was beaten so badly. He didn't have a couple cat scratches, a little, little hole piercing where his heart is. He was beaten so badly he didn't look human. And they nailed him to a cross. If we had a, a period accurate picture of Jesus, friends, it would be banned in every museum. Because it's too horrific to see the wrath of God for your sins and mine poured out upon the person of Jesus Christ. How does God feel about sin? This list that we just read, how does God feel? Enough to make Jesus not even look like a human anymore. How will God punish sin? I don't know, look at the body of Jesus. This is why, by the way, friends, if God would do this to his own son, what would he do to you and I? He would send us to a place called hell. We don't like to talk about hell because hell's too real for a lot of us. Mark 9, 48 describes hell as a place where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. The worm, the weakest in God's animal kingdom, even he won't simply be annihilated and burned away. It's gonna be a conscious awareness torment and it says the fire is not quenched. It's gonna last forever. There won't be an end. Jesus talked more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. Jesus doesn't want anybody to go there. You say, well, that sounds pretty scary, preacher. Why, do, why don't I need to fear death then? It sounds like I got a lot to be afraid of. It's because on Jesus, God's wrath was already taken out. 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death was taken away. Colossians 2, verses 14 and 15 says, and you, that's you and I, who were dead in your trespasses. That's how God sees us in our sin, we're dead. What can a dead man do? Nothing, he can receive life. 
You are dead in your trespasses, the things where we have transgressed, we've gone against God's law. You are dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh. God has made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. Our trespasses, that's our rap sheet before God. Do you know God keeps a record, a list of every evil thing we've ever done, every lie, every selfish thing, every proud moment, every time we've stolen, taken a little time off the clock, snapped on the job sites, gossiped, said something evil about somebody, God has a rap sheet on us. But it says that God has forgiven those trespasses by canceling out the record of debt that was against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to its cross. Colossians 2 says God has every right to send us to hell because of the legal demands that were against us, because of the debt that we owed. My wife and I, we just bought a house in October and it, it was not cheap. It was a bad time to buy a house. And we have, over at Kentucky Farmers Bank, we have a legal demand against us. You owe us so much money, and if you don't give that money to us, we'll take everything that you have. And they have a legal right to do it. The Bible says that's God. He has a legal right to take everything that we have, to take our life, and to banish us from his presence at death. But what happened? At the cross, God took all the legal demands against us. God took our rap sheet. He took our loan sheet, and he went to Jesus, and he nailed it to the cross of Christ so that we don't owe it anymore, so that Jesus, when he suffered and died for you and I for six hours in the, bare, the beating sun, as he's just pushing himself up to get a gasp of air, can barely speak because his throat is closing up, he asked for a little bit of drink, and his final words could be, it is finished. What is finished? Paying the debt you and I owe. To die was the word in the Greek. It's the word you would write at the bottom of a receipt, the bottom of a loan statement. It's paid in full. Every legal demand that Kentucky Farmers Bank has against me is gone. Why? Well, maybe not the Kentucky Farmers Bank, but my sins were paid for because God nailed it to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what it means. It is finished. Why don't we fear death? Because your debt's been paid, at least for some of us. It's debt has been paid for all men but it's only applied to the accounts of those who are willing to receive that gift. We don't fear death because the debt has been paid. We are Charles Darnay. Okay, I told you we'd get, get back to that story. What happened when Charles Darnay is in prison on the very day of his execution where he's gonna face the guillotine? He's gonna have his head chopped off, right? What happens? Sidney Carton, who looks a lot like him, who's a man like him, who used to be his accuser, now comes to his jail cell and in a complete act of grace, having nothing to do with Charles Darnay, he steps in there, he drugs him, takes his place, and he is executed in his place and set him free to live his life, to love his wife and family. Friends, you know, we marvel that somebody might do that for somebody in a piece of literature. Jesus did that for real. Jesus died for us. Number three, Jesus delivers us. And this is our last point here. Remember Hebrews 2.14, Jesus became flesh and blood like you and I so that he could die to, to take away the, the power of the devil who has the power over death so that he could deliver all those who through their fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The message of Easter, friends, the message of Easter is that God doesn't want you to be scared anymore. You know, often when man gets in the presence of God, we fall down our face, we're terrified of him, and you should be. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. 
But what what does our loving God often say to those who are on their face before him? He says, fear not. Fear not. God doesn't want us to be afraid. He wants us to be in a relationship with him. How do we enter into that relationship? How can we be delivered, as this says? He wants to deliver us through the fear of death, have been subject to lifelong slavery. How are we delivered from sin? How are we delivered from punishment? How are we delivered from hell? How are we delivered from the fear of death? First of all, we have to understand who God is, that he is good and we're not. We have to repent, the Bible says, of our sins. Repentance means a change of mind. Not just, I think I'm gonna go here rather than there. It's not a flippant thing. It's a change of heart belief. I used to believe that all these sins were good for me and that that would bring about my greatest good, my greatest happiness. My gambling, I thought it'd make me happy. Did it? No, it took everything away. I thought this adultery would make me happy. Did it? No, it took everything away. I thought that being lazy and staying around at home would be fun. No, it took everything away. I thought that gossiping would make me feel good. I thought revenge would make me feel good it took everything away. You see, Satan deceives us like that. He makes us think that the greatest good for our life is sin. We're back to the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? God is trying to withhold something good from you. Repentance is when we, be- when we understand that Satan lied to us this whole time. This isn't something God was holding something good from me. It's the worst thing that could happen to me. Satan wants to steal, to kill, and destroy. He wants to take every good thing away from me, and he's gonna do it by making me think that his way is best. Repentance is when we understand that sin is bad and we understand that God is good and that living life God's way is the only way that we can have any kind of true and lasting joy and peace and happiness. And so I repent. I change my mind about God. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe he was God come in the flesh. I believe he is Lord. I believe he died. I believe he was buried. I believe he rose again on the third day. I believe. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe he's who he said he was, and you believe that in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, what does your Bible say? You will be saved. Saved from what? It's a word that means delivered. Jesus just said it in Hebrews 2. You'll be delivered from sin, delivered from punishment, delivered from hell, delivered from shame, delivered from guilt. You're delivered. I know there's folks here who's probably thinking, well, that's too easy. I wanna say, easy for whom? Was it easy for Jesus to be betrayed, to have his beard plucked out, to be spit on him, to be beaten, to stand there naked, not even looking like a human anymore, to watch people do, you know, gambling for your clothes and your, your remaining possessions, to watch as you have to send your mother away off with somebody else to take care of her? Was that easy for Jesus? No, it wasn't easy for Jesus, but God made it simple so that by simple faith, we could trust in him and we could be adopted into God's family. John 1 says, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. God will adopt us into his family. Is adoption hard? I say it depends on which side you're on. Parents, if you've ever adopted somebody, is that a tough process? You're filling out all kinds of paperwork. You're having to prove that you're not a bad person. You have to prove that you got enough money. You, a lot of times it'll cost you $30,000, $50,000. It's so expensive, you need scholarships for it. You build an addition onto the house to make room for this child. Was it easy for mom and dad? No, it took everything that you had. Why'd you do it? Because of love. Now, what does that child have to do? He has to be willing to go home with you. That's it. He just has to be willing to take your name. 
He has to be willing to allow you to show him love. He has to be willing to allow you to take him home. And when he does, he takes your last name. He lives in your home. He eats your food. He wears your clothes. And when you die, you pass everything you want, and he inherits all things. Friends, that's what God says salvation is. It's adoption. God did all the work for you so that simply by grace as a child, all I have to do is look at God and say, God, I want to be part of your family. I don't want to be here anymore. This isn't my best life now. I want to be with you. I want you to save me. It's your goodness alone, your grace alone, your mercy alone. I want you to give that to me. I want you to bring me into your family. If we're willing to simply be honest before God and admit that we have sinned, to turn from that sin, to have a change of belief, to believe that God is good, to believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he came for you and that he died on the cross and that he was beaten beyond recognition for your sins and mine and we believe that he died on the cross for me, that he was buried and he rose again on the third day, God says, you will be saved. It's that simple. It's simple adoption. God did all the work. So never ever again say salvation is too easy. It's not easy, but it is simple. So that not just the wise, not just the strong, not just the mighty, not just the noble, not just the wealthy can be saved. Who can be saved? The smallest child here. God made it simple because that's what adoption should be like. You know, here to, if you're here today and you're still afraid of death, can I tell you it's probably because you don't know where you're going. Can fear ever creep into our hearts when we just don't know where we are, we're lost? You ever get scared like that? Most lost I've ever been in my life was when we, our family first went to China. And we were sent to China, friends, and I'm telling you, we only knew how to say the phrase, do you have any apples? And that doesn't get you far in China. And my supervisor decided, he, he was the kind that was like, let's throw the baby in the pool and see what they do. You know, let's see if they can swim. And so he did. He said, you're going to go out. We were there several weeks. And he says, you're going to go out to a village by yourself, eight hours away. I want you to go to the bus station. I don't know, you, you know, mime, whatever you need to do. Uh, but figure out how to get to the village and then try to have conversations with people. And so we did it. And we get on this bus. And like an American, I'm thinking, well, I get a bus ticket. It says from Yushi. To Gaza, I get on the bus in Yushi, I get off in Gaza, right? Does that sound logical? No. <laughs> See, in China, how they make their real money is people get on and off the bus like it's a commuter, but like a, a bus in the middle of the city. And so people are getting on, people are getting off, the bus driver's making a little money on the side, he's getting products from one village, taking it to another. And so yeah, I felt like I was going back to school. Kids are getting on, kids are getting off. Well, pretty soon we're looking around and we're driving for hours past what we thought it was gonna be. It's starting to get dark out. And we look around at each other and we're like, we're the only people left on the bus. <laughs> There's something wrong here. And the bus driver doesn't even notice it. And eventually he pulls into this tiny little village like the one you see here, and he just stops the bus. <laughs> and he shuts off the bus. And I was like, we're in trouble. I have no idea where we're at. So I go up to the bus driver who's now loading like bananas or something into the bottom of the bus. And he sees me and he's visibly startled. Like, what are you doing here? Why do I have a bunch of these foreigners here? You know, that was us as Americans. What do we do with these foreigners on this bus? And he's mad and he's shouting at me. And I don't know what he was saying, but I'm glad I didn't know. And he was just telling me, get off the bus, get out of here. Just, and he just dumps us off in the middle of this village. And I'm thinking, oh my word, I just brought my wife and all my kids with me. And they were little at the time. And I was I was terrified. I was like, what are we gonna do? I had no idea. I didn't even have enough language to order Kung Pao chicken. And here I am trying to figure out how to get out of this village and get where we need to go. So you know what I did? I phoned a friend. 
A friend who spoke English, who cared about me, but he also spoke Chinese, and he knew the culture, he knew what was happening. And this friend arranged everything else, and I just sat back. What is salvation, friends? If you don't know where you're gonna spend eternity, if you were to die today, if you're not 100% certain that you would be in, in heaven with your sins forgiven with God, friends, you may, you may see yourself as lost, but all you have to do, friends, is pick up the phone. You phone a friend. What does Romans 10, 13 says? All who call upon the name of the Lord, how does it end? Shall be saved. Friends, all you gotta do is phone a friend. If you don't know where you're going, if you're terrified of death, if you're afraid of death because you're afraid of what's happening on the other side and you're lost, you don't know where you're going one way or the other, friends, this morning, phone a friend. Like Isaiah 42 here says, he, he just calls out to us and he says, he says, turn to me, turn to God. He says, all you ends of the earth, anybody can be saved. Turn to me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. He says, for I am God, and there is no other. Let's close out this time in prayer. Our Lord, we thank you today that through your son, Jesus Christ, you have given us the opportunity for life. Lord, this Easter morning, we have people who have come here for a variety of reasons. Some of us, just because a friend invited us, family invited us, we were encouraged to come. Maybe we were just curious. But God, this morning, we have heard the message of Easter that Jesus came to earth to die in our place, to destroy he who had the power of death, so that he might, through salvation, deliver us from the fear of death, who all our lives have been struggling in a slavery, in a prison cell of fear, God, I pray if there's any here today who are lost, they don't know where they're going. Lord, that you would encourage their hearts to reach out to you today. That they may, as Romans 10, 13 says, that they may call upon the name of the Lord and to be saved. Lord, those who are lost, God, may they simply phone a friend who will then make all the arrangements for us. Give them the grace and the courage, God, to come forward and to respond to that message of faith. We ask this in Christ's name. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you would like to make a decision to ask Christ into your heart, click on the link in the show notes and we will be able to help you find your way to Jesus. If you enjoyed today's message, give our podcast channel some love by liking and subscribing to it. And as promised, if you would like more information about unity, you can connect with us at unitybaptistashland.com or on Facebook at UBC Ashland. Thank you for spending the day with us. We hope that you have a blessed day.